Amen. How many enjoyed that? Give, bless the praise team. We thank God for them. Amen. Good to see you here, Fourth of July weekend. God bless you. How many's glad to be here? Rather be here than any ICU unit anywhere. Hallelujah. We love and appreciate you today. Uh, last week we began a series. And uh, we just entitled that, What is Your Worldview? I'm going to continue with that this morning. And we're titling this, Clarifying Our Worldview. How many remember what we talked about with the worldview? I'm just a quick review that the, our worldview is basically the beliefs that, that we each build our lives upon. It's the things that, that uh, cause us to see and view the world in a specific way. It's the beliefs that all of our decisions, the way God's wired us. Now, most people don't think about their worldview. They don't think in those terms normally, unless somebody like me brings it to your attention or unless you're into philosophy. And philosophy, don't let that fool you or, 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 or cause you a lot of stress. Philosophy just means thinking on something really, really hard. If you thought about naval lint really hard, you'd be, you'd be a philosopher of naval lint. Right? Philosophy just means I'm going to think on, I'm going to study, I'm going to, I'm going to concentrate on something very, very hard. So everybody has a worldview, whether you realize it or not. But often it's unclarified. Often it's unspoken about. How many remembers Forrest Gump sitting on the park bench in Savannah? He says, uh, life is like what? Because you know what? You never know what you're going to get. You understand that's a worldview. Forrest Gump had a worldview. And so this is not some intellectual theory thing we're talking about. It's, uh, this this uh, runs through every area of our lives. Uh, Proverbs 4.23, this is the verse that talks about, um, I don't even think I give them this verse, but out of, you know, guard your heart because out of it flow the issues of life. But I want to read the new century version of this verse. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Did you hear that? Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Another verse in Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, so what? So is he. So it's important what we think about. And uh, it's the most practical thing in your life. Your worldview determines every relationship you have. Uh, it determines every success or failure that you've experienced. If you want to listen, if you want to change your life, I mean, if you're a person here that wants to change your life, then you're going to have to change your mind. The Bible calls that repenting. Now, the religious church calls repenting, crying at the altar, telling God you're sorry for sin. The word repent means met, is the Greek word metanoia, and it means to change the way you think. So repentance literally changes your thinking. Your worldview is changed. And what, it, what does it take to change a person? Jesus said you shall know the what? The truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth will change a person's life. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, I've talked a bit. I'm going to let you be seated and, uh, and, and, uh, after I pray. Father, we do thank you uh, that you have given us in your word truth. You are truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I thank you, Father, that, that today, by the power of your spirit, you're are enabling us to believe the truth that will change us and transform us and set us free. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. you can be seated. I'm going to 
read a little bit more verses maybe than I normally do, and therefore I'm going to let you be seated. John 18, beginning in verse 33. Pilate answered or entered the praetorium, that just means the judgment hall, and he called Jesus and he said to Jesus, he said, are you the king of the Jews? Remember last week we talked about how important questions are. And he said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answering him said, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Now notice Jesus often would do this. He would question the questioner. Behind every question is a questioner. And you need to understand that. And what apologetics does is it opens up the questioner. It, it, it reveals their motive, their heart. So Jesus answered his question with a question. And he said, did somebody tell you this? Or are you really speaking this of your own, your own desire? But Pilate answered, he says, am I a Jew? Your own nation, your own priest are the ones that delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Notice he just turns everything a right angle here, and he begins to establish what he wants Pilate to know. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus said, you've said rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Listen, that I should bear witness... To the truth. Everyone of, who is of the truth, listen, amazing statement, hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And this is one of the most profound questions in the Word of God. He said, what is truth? And then it's, look, notice, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate didn't even wait for the answer. I so wish he'd have waited because I would have loved to heard what Jesus would have replied to. He did reply to people's seeking the truth in other passages in the Gospels. But I would love to have heard specifically what he would have said to Pilate. So this tells me that Pilate was not sincere. He was not uh, genuine in his questioning of Jesus. He was a political pawn at the hand of Caesar and the Roman government. And all he wanted to do was keep his life as pleasurable as possible, uh, keep peace among the Jews, and uh, there is a reason that the Bible actually lets us see here the ethnic, uh, the political, and the religious tensions that are going on at the time of this scene. Uh, Rome, of course, is represented by Pilate. And, but the Jews are struggling immensely under the Roman rulership, and they wanted desperately to have their liberty. This is Fourth of July weekend. This is a weekend that you'll hear a lot in the next today and a few days until we get past the fourth about liberty and freedom and, and justice and those type things. And so here we see all that mix there. We see the political, we see the ethnic tensions, we see the religious tensions. The priests were supposed to be the religious representatives. They were supposed to represent God to the people and the people to God, but they had really become under the Roman rule very political. And uh, they had really become more political activists than the priest of God. And what had happened to them is corruption had infiltrated uh, the priesthood. And there was a lot of distrust among the Jews to the, to the priesthood at this time. And Jesus immediately, though, in this moment, he breaks away from all this political, ethnic, religious tension. And he stands there as a divine incarnation of truth. I want you to see this. And, and what Jesus is literally saying, he's saying, I'm not on trial here, you're on trial here. You're really the one on trial here because this is what he said. The NIV says it like this. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
What an amazing statement. Everyone on the side of truth. You have to choose sides. As a believer, you have to choose sides. You can't stay in spiritual Switzerland. You can't stay neutral. Boy, y'all are quiet this morning. Let's make sure no casket got slid in up front. To give truth, this has been said, to give truth to him who loves it not is to only give them more reasons to misinterpret what you've said. To give truth to somebody. Jesus didn't, very, uh, he, he didn't give truth to people that didn't want truth. He, he didn't, it, it won't help anybody. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says that there were people that were perishing because they did not receive the love of the truth. They, they didn't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I, I, I want to know how many of you really love the truth. Now, now I'm telling you something God's really put on my heart. This is the big idea today. Let me tell you something. Listen, a lot of people love Jesus, but they don't love the truth. You say, well, I thought Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He is. But in their mind, they compartmentalize truth separate from Jesus. In other words, they say they love Jesus, but they hate church. See, if you're not looking for the truth, then you're you're never going to find it. This is what we have in journalism in America. Uh, We don't get the news, we get the views. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. In America, in journalism, most of the time we don't get the views, the news, we get the views of the journalist. We get them turning and twisting and manipulating. We've just seen it in the past seven days. We've seen people resign their jobs because they manipulated the truth. They, they, they fake the news. Fake news has become a big, a big word. It's not a word because it has been invented. It's a word because it goes on every day. So let me ask you a question. How much does the Bible get in the way of what you believe? You, some months ago, I made this statement, you know, that, that, that most Christians don't allow the Bible to affect what they believe. They don't allow the Bible to affect what they believe. See, most Christians believe in Jesus, but they have compartment, they, they've compartmentalized their, their, their faith. In other words, they put their faith in a compartment so that the Bible, and actually what the Bible says, doesn't have little or no influence in their rest of their life. Let me say it another way. We are, if we're not careful, we can be confessing Christians on Sunday, practicing atheists on Monday. What do you mean by that? I mean, we are confessing Christ at church, our belief in Him, and then Monday we live as if we don't have a God. We worry more than people that don't even go to church. We worry about this and that and the price of this and what about this and, and we, we express verbally those worries we, we, it's not just worries in every area we, we live as if God doesn't exist if, it's, if our relationship with God is just something we do on the weekend it's just a place we go and visit and it really doesn't change our, our uh, views in any other area of life for, for many many people listen the Bible doesn't influence what they believe it really doesn't one reason, because they don't read the Bible, they don't know what the Bible says. <clears throat> I'm telling you, America is more biblically illiterate today than it's ever been. I mean, it is. Hey, uh, by the way, I'm still preaching grace. <laughs> you look like, y'all are looking funny today for some reason. Titus 2 and 11 says this, The, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 12 says, but that grace teaches us to deny ungodliness 
It teaches us to live righteously and soberly in this present age. And if the grace of God is not teaching you to, 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 to live your life in a different way, then you're not receiving grace. You've got something else, some counterfeit. The grace of God is not free to do something. The grace of God is to free from the bondage of religion, the bondage of the law, bondage of trying to get God to accept me based on my performance. But the grace of God will change a person's life. The grace of God. I'll talk about this in, a, in another sermon in this series, but when, when Zacchaeus, remember that guy climbed up the tree? Those Jews hated him. He was a Jew, but he was a tax collector. He was manipulating the system, lining his own pockets. He was a thief by his own words. And so, you know, he's like trying to, he heard Jesus is coming by. So, you know, we make it a little, little children's story. But Zacchaeus is trying to get up in the front of the crowd, like trying to watch a parade come by, and you're very short and you can't see it. He's like, excuse me. They're like, there ain't no way I'm parting for you, dude. I mean, they're ignoring him. So he does desperate measures. He climbs a tree to see Jesus. Jesus stops and sees that intentionality and that faith that he expressed just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. And when Jesus came to this house, he'd incense the Jews. They couldn't believe he would even go to this guy's house. And they go to his house, and, 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 and so he's so moved by the presence of grace, by Jesus, that he says, he said, I want you to know that I'm going to restore four times what I've stolen from people. Now listen, this is going to bother some of you. Jesus said, salvation has come to this home today. That's when Jesus said, salvation has come. Why? Because salvation has changed your life. It'll change how you see what you've done. It'll change what, how you see what you've done to people. And where possible, you'll make restitution. Where possible, you'll change. You won't say, well, just free the grace of God and I'll just steal, keep stealing. No, 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 no. You, won't, you ain't seen grace. But when you're in the presence of grace, which is Jesus, it'll change your life. And that's when Jesus pronounced salvation has come. When that guy said, I'm going to pay back four times what I stole from all these people. Jesus said, surely salvation's come to this house today. Let me tell you something. If salvation's come to your house, you're going to act different. You're going to live different. You're going to handle money different, time different, your family. You're going to talk to people different. You're going to be a different person than you were before you met Jesus. I'm preaching better than you, amen, and, but that's the truth of the gospel. Amen? So when it comes to moral issues and all these kind of things that's going on today, we've got a lot of Christians that profess faith in the Lord, but they're really not His disciples. That may be shocking to you, but I want you to look at a verse of uh, how Jesus responded to people who believed in him, yet they didn't become a disciple of his. John 8, 31 says, And then Jesus said to the Jews who believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciple indeed. Jesus said you've got to do more. See, the Bible said he spoke to the Jews who believed. They believed on him, but they didn't continue in his word. They, you know, you can't profess I believe in him on Sunday and then live like you don't know him on Monday. The Word of God's got a lot to say about the issues that we're facing in society, and especially in America today. Right? And listen, grace doesn't cause us to be silent and not have an opinion, not have a, an expression of our worldview. In fact, we're supposed to have a biblical worldview, and God Himself has a biblical worldview, a view of this world. For God so loved the world. That's a worldview that He sent His Son Jesus so that we don't have to perish, but we'd have life. And so some Christians say, well, I love Jesus but they don't love the Word of God. They say they love Jesus. They never read their Bibles. They don't, they don't have a relationship with the Word of God. And, and, and I know, I know, I know, you can't separate the Word from the Word. Not really. 
Jesus is the Word made manifest. But in people's minds, they say, I love Jesus, but I don't, you know, they, they don't have any relationship. They don't have a love for the Word of God or for the, the truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, listen to Paul. He says, he's writing to the church at Thessalonians, uh, at Thessalonica, and he says, for this reason... We also thank God without ceasing. Listen, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. In this series, I want to take one Sunday to just talk to you, what does it mean to work out your own salvation? What does that mean? Because that's in the New Testament. That's under grace. What does that mean to work out your own salvation? Keep coming. That's a preview of coming attractions. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says. He says, when you receive the word of God, you heard it from us. Now, some of you look at me right now. You go, well, that's Brother Dale up there talking to us this morning. That's Brother Dale talking to us about what the Bible says. That's Brother Dale teaching us a religion. No, no, no. This is the, I'm, I, I'm speaking to you the word of God. This is not a word of God as much as it's a word from God. This is the word of God. Paul said to these people, he said, you received it. You didn't get caught up in that thing. Uh, see, if you just say, well, that's Brother Dale talking, you get everything Brother Dale can provide for you. And that's about that much. But if you say that's the word of God, God called this man before he was in his mother's room to preach the gospel to us. And he is God's ambassador to stand there to preach the good news. Then you'll respond to God's word. God's word will accomplish what it was sent to do. It cannot return void. You believe that? And if our worldview don't line up with the word of God, guess what needs to change? Our worldview. Because you're not going to be able to change the Word of God. You can try, but you're not going to be able to. You, you, you might as well try to bring Everest down to your level so you can climb it. When you get Everest down to where you can climb it very easily, then you can change the Word of God. Get back with me on that one, okay? You, you, you get to choose what you believe. God doesn't force His beliefs upon anybody. God doesn't force his beliefs. I mean, you get to choose what to believe. God puts his word out there, and it's up to you and I to believe it. I'm going to give you six American, because that's where I am, worldviews. If I was in another country, I'd give you their worldviews. But I'm going to give you six American worldviews, or, or we could call it this, isms. You know what isms? Isms. Every, every view I'm going to give you, there's more than these, but I'm just going to probably have time to do these six. I'm going to do them quickly. But I'm going to give you isms, because there's more isms than I'm going to give you. Okay, number one, most of you know this, you can finish this. The one who has the most what wins? Oh, there you go. The one who has the most toys wins. I've seen it often on back of vehicles, newer vehicles, pickup trucks, boats, campers, whatever. I'm not knocking any of that stuff, and I'm not saying you're supposed to have it, but this is a worldview of American culture. The one who has the most toys wins. What kind of view is this? Materialism. Hear that first ism? It's a materialistic way of looking at the world. Jesus said in Luke 12 and 15 that a man's possessions, uh, his life is not, does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. In other words, what you have does not define who you are. 
Huh? The, the, let me tell you this. The people that believe in this view, they believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. I'm telling, you, I'm telling you, this country is saturated with this. People will work themselves and miss their whole life. They miss their families because they think. And we've, had, we've got example after example after example of people that have made billions and are miserable. Billions and, and, and miserable. That uh, They're confused over their values and what's valuable. Your values and your valuables are not the same thing. They think that the more I have, then the more... I'm worth. In other words, if I have more, then I'm worth more. And you can see these people out in restaurants and you can see them in public places because they will just lamb blast the waitress. Because they have more, therefore they feel like that they should be served better or that they have a more of a right to speak. People with a lot of money will be the first to speak uh, harshly. I'm not saying all people with money do that, but I'm saying there are a lot of people that think my opinion counts more because I got more in my bank account than you do. Boy, we're quiet in here. Welcome to our service. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Your net worth and your self-worth are not the same thing. Your net worth and your self-worth are not the same thing. They think, well, I, I, man, if I just had a little bit more, then, I, then I'd be happy. Just a little bit more. But see, you never get that little bit more. The second worldview is this, the second one. I, I've got to think about me first. Me first. Uh, have it your way. <laughs> uh, you deserve a break today. It's all about you, me. In other words, listen, we are now at the hands of the me generation. What ism is this? It's individualism. It's an individualistic attitude. It's, uh, th 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 man, I'm telling you, this is where we are. Matthew 16 and 25, Jesus says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's he saying? He's saying when you stop trying to live just for you and, and you begin to live for others, you're going to find that's where life really is. It's not all about me, me, me. On Time Magazine, the front cover uh, of May 2013, it says, the me, me, me generation. And, and, uh, and this, this, is, this is what they uh, say. They, they said the really the, the specific of that article, the me generation, how they reported it, is the people that were born. Now, don't get mad at me, okay? Just because I'm telling you the truth. If you were born between 1980 to 2000, that said this is specifically who they're talking about. And so the incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is three times higher in that group than it is uh, at the time that they wrote the article of people that were 65 and older, according to the National Institutes of Health. In other words, they were three times more narcissistic. You know what that is? It's all about me, looking at yourself, reflection of yourself. It's all about me. Boy, Facebook has enabled that disease to be broadcast loud and large. Y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Fifth, listen, 58%, in other words, in 1982, they did a study of narcissist, narcissism, and then they did it again in 2009. It had increased, and this is of college students, I mean, college students. In 2009, it was 58% more narcissist personalities than it was in, in 1982. 
Boy, I'm telling you, change, changes, things are changing rapidly uh, with the me generation. The me generation, listen, has gotten so many participation trophies. Listen, growing up, they got, everybody gets a trophy now. So, so in, 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 in a recent study, uh, this is all right out of that Time Magazine article. Read it this afternoon what, before you take your nap when you go home if you want to. I'm not making any of this up. It said that 40% of those people surveyed said they should be promoted every two years regardless of their performance. These are adults that they interviewed. 40% of them said, I deserve to be promoted every two years irregardless of my performance. Everybody gets a trophy. When I was a little boy coming up, you didn't get a trophy unless you won. But now everybody gets a trophy. Well, we just want them not to feel like losers. Some of them lost. That's what a loser is. You lost. It doesn't say that they, they, they themselves are a loser. I'm not saying that. But you lost. You did not win the tournament. You didn't win the championship. You're not, we're not going to give a Super Bowl trophy to all the NFL teams. We're going to give it to the one team that wins. Go Falcons. Hallelujah. They, that generation is a fame-based generation. Three times as many middle school girls wanted to grow up to be a personal assistant to a famous person rather than being a senator of the United States. They, they surveyed, uh, all children surveyed in the schools of this mid-generation said that their number one, what do you want to be when you grow up? This is the number one answer of boys and girls, famous. Now, some of them will try that on the expressways of an interstate fleeing from the law for their 15 minutes of fame. Some of them will try it in the murder of someone or something. Just some, they, their number one thing, you know, when I was a little boy, they said, well, I want to be a policeman. I want to be the president. I want to be a banker. I want to be this. But the number one thing they say now when you survey kids, they want to be famous. Famous for what? Famous for nothing. Just like the Kardashians. Famous for nothing. Fourth of July, yay. Four times as many children said they had rather be famous rather than be the CEO of a major American corporation. If they were given a choice, you can be the CEO of a major American corporation like Ford or Chevy or whatever. That versus being famous, which one would you choose? Four times over they said, I want to be famous. They're, they're so convinced of their own greatness that the National Study of Youth and Religion found that, that 60% of this mid-generation said, listen, in any situation, they don't need any, anybody to tell them the truth. They will just be able to feel what is right. 60% of them said they don't need any guideline. They don't need anybody telling them anything that when the given moment will come, they will just feel what's right. That's the spirit of stupid. Gone to seed. Now listen to this one. Last one. I don't do this often, but I really, I mean, I have felt this thing this week. Right now, more people between the ages of 18 to 29 live with their parents than with a spouse. More people between the ages of 18 to 29. Now listen, I understand that you may be listening to me, you may be sitting here. I don't know. And you could be living with your parents, and I'm not saying you're a diabolical person if you are. 
Things happen in life. Tragedies happen. Job loss, health. I'm, okay, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about you in there on the video game and you're just too lazy to go to work. That's what I'm talking about. Better get off number two. Number three worldview. Do whatever feels good. Proverbs 21 and 17, and we're going to give you the message translation. This is what it says. You're addicted to thrills. What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied. Uh, this is Hinduism. This is uh, pleasure is what that group believes is the most important thing in life. Uh, Hugh Hefner is a hedonist. Uh, I mean, he, he, he publishes that, claims that title proudly. Uh, he, he says that you're supposed to pursue pleasure. That's the whole purpose of life is just to pursue pleasure. Now, let me say this. I was raised up in, in, in religion and thinking that anything was pleasurable it had to be of the devil. And that's a lie as well. Um, God is the inventor of pleasure. If I was in an all-adult crowd, I could describe it for you a little bit better. But, but God is the one that made your body. God put the nerves where he put the nerves, and he put, God fixed you for pleasure. God put taste buds on your tongue. God, God put touch and sensitivity. And, 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 and the Bible says that in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 16 and 11, that he says, David said, you show me the path of life. But he said, in your, in your presence, there's the fullness of joy. I love that. Not just some joy, but the fullness of joy. And he said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How long are pleasures? Forevermore. But see, I don't pursue pleasures. I pursue God. And as I pursue him in response to him pursuing me, I really just react to his pursuit of me. And when I, when, when I, when I respond to God's grace of him pursuing me, then pleasures are the byproduct of that. Man, it's pleasurable to, to serve God and live for God and to, to walk with God. That, that's the greatest pleasure in life. The Bible says that in the last days, 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, this is what it says. I mean, it's the New Testament. It's okay to read it. It says men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, heady, uh, headstrong, haughty. Listen, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the very power. See, the power of God changes the person, and he won't be like that list. But a person that says that they, that, that they have God, and, and, and yet they, that they're, they're like this list, this is what verse 5 says. And from such, people turn away. Don't hang out with people like that. You, you can't hang out with people like that. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the very power. They deny the power of Jesus' shed blood to change a person. Are you kidding? Come on. See, it's easy to say, well, Hugh Hefner, well, yeah, I can see he's a hedonist. Come on, I'm going to bring it a little bit closer. If your goal is to retire and do nothing, you're a hedonist. I didn't think I'd get an amen. I told God I didn't think I would. If your goal is to retire and do nothing, you're a hedonist. All you want is just your personal pleasure. You're not made to, to, to do nothing. 
I'm going to get to that in a second, but you're, you're, you have a purpose. You're, you're created by God for purpose. You, you're never meant to. You may retire from your job, but you're not going to retire from life. You're not, I mean, I, I know all that sounds good to you working folk. I don't know if you've been on extended vacations, but they get pretty boring. I get ready to get back home, even if it's a week. Good God, when's this going to be over? I mean, really. I mean, I, I mean, really, you know, I mean, I mean, it may sound like, well, I, you know, I'm such so stressed, man, if I could just be in the, you know, down there in, you know, in Key West, you know, straw hat, margarita, you know, flip flops, pop top and all that. And just all I got to do every day is just lay on the beach. I mean, that'd be fun for like the first three days. But after a while, you're going to get tired of the sand and the margaritas. And, and you, I mean, you, you're going to be looking at something else to do. I'm going to climb a coconut tree. I mean, you're going you're gonna to be doing something. You're not built to do nothing. Your life has purpose. Number four, worldview. Whatever works for you. You hear it expressed a lot of ways. Whatever works for Hey, if it works for you, fine with me. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever bangs your shutters. Different stroke for different folk. There's all kind of ways that this worldview is said in our society. But that's what it means. Hey, if it works for you. You know why we tell somebody, hey, well, hey, hey man, if that works for you, have at it. If it works for you. Because we don't want to tell nobody no. We don't want to tell anybody. We think the only thing that's wrong today is if you tell somebody they're wrong. John the Baptist looked at the King Herod and said, It is wrong, dude, for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And some of you are thinking right now, yeah, and it got him beheaded. <laughs> it did. Somebody got to stand for the truth. He said, that's wrong. Let me tell you something. I've, had, I've been stabbed and shot and all that spiritually. When you tell somebody, hey, it's wrong. What you're doing, dude, how you're treating your wife, how you're treating your husband, how you, it's wrong. To ride on the left side of the road at 100 miles an hour, the, the police going to tell you that's wrong. I mean, not everything is, is right in life just because you choose to do it. And, you know, what, what ism is that? Pragmatism. Pragmatism. Do you know, understand that Hitler was a pragmatist? In other words, he, killing the Jews was pragmatism. See, the Bible says it like this, Proverbs 14 and 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. See, listen. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about the, hunt, you know, the, the law of God that we talk about around here. I'm talking about God's universal laws. For example, let's just pull one, gravity. That's a universal law of God. And so you can say, well, I don't believe it. You know, you, you know. Let me, say, let me say, make this statement. You don't break God's universal laws. They'll break you if you violate them. You can say, well, I don't, I don't believe in the law of gravity. Well, let's go to a hundred-story building, Okay. I'm going to stop at floor 50. You go on up to the top, 100th floor. You proceed to declare your belief system, your worldview, is that gravity has no bearing on you because you don't believe in it. So you just leap off the 100th floor building. Now, as you leap, I'm, that's so interesting, I'm going to have to stick my head out the 50th floor window just to watch it. And as you come by the 50th floor, I'm going to say, how's it going? And you're going to say, so far, so good. Because you hadn't hit bottom yet. See, we think because it's so far, so good. Hey, dude, how's that working out? Would you cheating on your wife? Well, she hadn't caught me yet. So far, so good. 
Well, how's that lying on your taxes and cheating the government and all on stuff like that? Well, I haven't been audited yet. So far, so good. See how this works? How's this going on? I mean, so far, so good. See, and just because it's working right now don't mean it doesn't have death at the end results of it. Number five, worldview. God doesn't exist. And if he does exist, he doesn't matter. You can say, well, what ism is that? Naturalism. Well, I thought it's atheism, that too. But the atheists nowadays don't like to be called atheists, so they have taken the term, they're a naturalist. Naturalism. So you can choose atheism or naturalism, and most of us don't need a lot of explanation on this one. But I want to tell you something. If God don't matter, then you don't matter. Because he's the only thing that gives life any purpose and meaning. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. You don't even got to read the Bible. When you understand the world, if you just go to a science class, you'd come out a believer in Jesus. If you understand that this world is tilted perfectly as it orbits the sun, if we were one degree further to the, closer to the sun, we would burn up like charcoal briquettes. If we were one degree away from the sun, we would freeze to death. If you understand the earth is spinning at the exact perfect speed, if it spun any faster, it would sling us off. <laughs> we couldn't even stand. I mean, there's so many intricacies that, uh, in creation that the Bible says that if you'll just look at the, the things that I have made, you, you will see that I, I, I'm God. Being understood by the things that are made. His eternal power, the Godhead. They, that's why people, he says, are without excuse. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God and, and they were not thankful. We're going we, to look at that later. That's the two things. That is always the beginning of a downward progress in anybody's life. When, when you stop giving God glory and you stop being thankful, then your descent is for sure. They became futile in their thoughts and foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they become fools. I don't, I don't mean no disrespect, and I don't mean no disrespect to people in education. But I have met people with PhDs that was dumb as a rock when it comes to common sense. Now, I, I, mean, I mean that. And, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I, I, and there's people that I admire with PhDs and stuff. So I'm not anti-education by no means. I'm for education. I believe in it. But I am saying there's what they don't teach you is I, I, I doubt there's any class, I don't know I could ask from, but I doubt there is a class at VSU called Common Sense. But it needs to be a requirement of every student passing through there that they must attend at least one semester in the class of Common Sense. Because there's people that just don't have Common Sense. They may have a PhD, they may have, they may have this, but they just don't have any life experience. And it may, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, listen, I, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I, I, I mean, that requires more faith than Jesus gave me to be a Christian. I, I don't, it far, you must have far more faith to be an atheist than it requires to be a Christian. And I, I can't even come close to that level of faith. Uh, if I'm walking down a path and I see a Rolex watch lying in the path and I reach down and pick it up, you know what that tells me? That tells me that wasn't no accident. And, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm not like super smart, but that tells me that there, in the, because of the presence of that Rolex watch, there is a creator somewhere. 
And when you take off the back of that and you see the precision and the detail and the intricacy of that, there's got to be a creator. Now, I don't have faith to believe that one day a windstorm blew through a junkyard and blew the, all the junk up in the air and here landed this Rolex watch. Perfectly working, ticking, I mean, whatever. That a tornado came through the junkyard and just blew a bunch of parts in the air and a 747 came down. Fueled up and ready to go. That's how much faith you have to be to be an atheist. Number six, worldview, ism, is you are your own God. That's called humanism. It's a humanistic view. So I, I would always want to say to these people, well, I don't ever get the opportunity, but the people that believe that they are God, that's that old lie that Satan tried in the garden. You know, hey, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. And I told you that, what that the root of that was not to just eat of the tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It is being like God, it says telling good and evil. It's what the word knowing means, telling. In other words, listen, this is the lie, that you decide what is good and evil. I told you this, the Apostle Paul, he, he was killing Jews. He was killing Christians. And I asked you this last Sunday. Did he think he was doing good or did he think he was doing evil? He thought he was doing good. He never dreamed he was doing evil. But killing Jews was evil. What caused him to kill Jews and think he was doing good? His worldview. Did Hitler and all of his associates killing uh, Jews, putting 12,000 a day in the, in, in, in the gas chambers, did, did they think they were doing good or evil? If you'd ask any of them, they were doing good. It was for good. But they were doing immense evil. But so, so the lie is that man partakes of that tree and now he becomes God and he himself decides what is good and what is evil. And, and, and this is what it says in Romans 1 and 25. Romans 1 25 says, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie? The lie. Notice it's not a lie, the lie. This is the lie. If you want to know what the lie, this is what the Bible says. They worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let me tell you something what happens when you don't worship God. If you don't worship the true and living God, you're going to end up worshiping yourself. And, 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 it, and if you don't end up worshiping yourself, at, at the minimum, you're going to worship something that God has made. Uh, I, I always want to ask these people that says, I'm my own God. Why can't you solve your own problems then, dude? I mean, if you're a God, solve your own problems. Why yet? How about solving mine? And why, why about fixing the world while yet? You're, you're not God. You can't even fix your own self. Look at you. You're not God. God ain't that ugly. <laughs> Come on now. Listen, if, if you don't worship God, then you're going to worship something that God made. You, you can go to any country and you can find people worshiping totem poles, uh, idols, gold things. and no, Listen, they made those things with their hands and then they bow down and worship them. Come to America, though, you can see people worshiping things that they bought, like their house, their car, their status. Listen, God made you for his purpose. Colossians 1 and 16, we're going to put up the, the message translation for you, but it says, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, Rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. I love that translation. King James says all things were created through him and for him. Now listen, if you don't understand this, then you'll never 
life will never make sense for you. This is not one of the six worldviews, but this is God's view, and, and, and it's theism. Theology, the study of God, but this is, this is the belief in the one eternal living God. God's worldview is theist. Hear ye, O Israel, for God is one God. There's one God. There's not many gods, multiple gods, poly God, one God. And I want to tell you, there's two common myths concerning what people believe. And you've heard both of these, I know. The first one is more famous, I guess. Because they say, you know, really, it don't matter what you believe. You know, don't get all uptight. Just chill out. Take a chill pill. Take two. They're small, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, you can be sincerely wrong. I've been sincerely wrong about a lot of things. Anybody in here want to admit you've been sincerely wrong before about things that you thought you knew? I was very sincere, but I was sincerely wrong. Uh, th th this happens often. I, unfortunately, I, I, here a while back, I heard about a pilot uh, flew right into the side of a mountain, loaded down with people. He flew right into the side of a mountain. He sincerely thought that he was at a higher altitude than he was. He thought he was higher than the mountain was. Uh, let me tell you something, since he, but he was sincerely wrong, and it was deadly uh, for him and his passengers. Sincerity breaks up when it runs into truth, because truth ain't going to move. I said truth is not going to move. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. Truth is not new. If it's new, it ain't true. Truth has been here since God's been here. Now, let me tell you what happens. You and I recently, maybe, discover that truth, but the fact is that truth has always been here. It just took you this long to find it, to discover it, to have the revelation of it. Are you with me? Grace didn't just start in, you know, in the 2000s. God has always been the God of grace. And so, so the, the second one, first one is sincerity view of myth about how what you believe. Second one is situational. Sometimes you hear it called situational ethics. In other words, it doesn't matter what you believe. It, it all depends on the circumstances, Brother Dale. Uh, you know, well, that's stupid. That hurts my head to even think like that for a moment. That doesn't make sense. You, do you understand all these six worldviews that I've given you, all those isms? Do you understand that each one of those individually is crying out for your allegiance? That, 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 that they want, you know, that hedonism, that, you know, to be pleasure, that's the number one thing. Well, then, uh, so forth, you know, is materialism. No, 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 it's not pleasure. It's material things. You know, that's, and so imagine all these things crying and vying for your allegiance and your, your priority. That, that, that causes stress. It's, it's, you, you, don't, you don't know what to pick. You don't know what you are. You, you, you're just caught up in all this confusing and stress. Listen, you, you can't pick and choose a worldview based on your circumstances. L listen to this, man. Barner Research, these guys do such studies all the time. And uh, the majority of it's in America. And recently, the Barner Research Group did this study, and they said the problem of this country is that we don't think like God. And I'm like, duh. <laughs> I could have told them that, and they had to do no research. But listen, the problem, they went further with it, is that they said that we have an absence in our society of a biblical worldview, which is number one cause of all the problems that, that we're suffering in this country. Now, now listen, they surveyed 2,033 adults. I'm giving you the very specifics. This is what the survey said. 
They surveyed 2,033 adults across the country. Only 4% of those people surveyed had a biblical worldview. 4%. Of that group that were Christians professed faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, only 9% of those people had a biblical worldview. Only 9% of the Christians out of that group had a biblical worldview. Now let me tell you something that that group said. 62%, big number, of that group said that they were deeply spiritual. But of a different spirit, apparently. Listen, listen, I'm closing this. You're going to go through life either by design or by default. One, One of the two. And if you don't know what your purpose is, then you just tend to drift through life. Uh, you, you have no direction. You're just coasting. Uh, you're just hanging out. You're just there. Have you ever noticed uh, um, in life when you're, co- in other words, have you ever noticed when you're coasting, what does that mean? You're going down, downhill. When, when you're just coasting in this life, you, you, you're just, you know, most often you're just going down. Um, Proverbs 29 and 18, this is the message. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now, I know some of you would hardly recognize that verse. That's the message translation of a very familiar verse that says in the King James, where there is no vision, the people what? Notice it doesn't say where there is no husband. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. It also says, it doesn't say where there is no wife. It doesn't say where there is no uh, president. It doesn't say where there is no leader. It just simply says where there is no vision, people perish. It says in the NIV, they cast off restraint. They go crazy. They don't have any restraints in their life. Uh, vision, therefore, since it doesn't say that where there is no person, it just says where there's no vision and the person is not mentioned, then listen, vision is more important than the person. I said vision is more important than the person. Now listen to me. The greatest gift that God gave man is vision, not sight. Did you hear me? The greatest gift that God gave to man is, 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 is vision and not sight. Your sight can be an enemy to your vision. In other words, your sight tells you how things are right now, but your vision tells you how things can be. Your sight is a function of your eyes, but your vision is a function of your heart. Always live your life by vision. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now listen to me. Whatever your vision you have for your life, and I'm I'm assuming a godly vision, that God's put in you a vision for your life. Listen, if what you see presently, if what you see right now is not what you saw in that vision, if what you see is not what you saw, then what you see is temporary. Man, I dropped some powerful truths right there. If what you see right now in your life I don't care where it's at, marriage, finances, I don't care where it's at. But if what you see now is not what you saw when God first gave you that vision, then what you see is temporary. And you live by that faith because that's the purpose of God. You're not living your life by default. You're living it by design. God has created you because he has something and a purpose for you to do. 
You believe that? You receive the word of the Lord this morning. Stand to your feet all over. Come on, let's give God praise for his word. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen. I want to be a person. This is the big idea. So I'm highlighting it at the end again. The big idea is not just to be lovers of Jesus and thereby discard the word of God and what the word of God, the biblical worldview that the word of God gives to us. Love Jesus, yes, absolutely, it begins there. But be a lover of truth. Be a lover of the Word of God. Maybe this would be even a challenge to some of us to, to maybe read the Bible at all. Or maybe some of us to read them, not to get brownie points. I don't do that, I don't play that game no more. I don't, nothing I do will make God love me more. Nothing I will do or not do will make God love me less. That's the message of God's amazing grace. But it will make me love him more or me love him less. So in other words, if I don't ever read his word, I won't love God like I should. He will love me the same, but my love for him will falter, grow cold, and fail. And it will not sustain me with faith because faith works by love. You see, when I read about him and I see the stories and I watch him, how he treats people in the New Testament, I watch how grace is extended to people who were undeserving, unearning, it makes me love my Father more than I ever have before. It changes my view of Him. And when my view of Him has changed, like grace has done, it's changed my view, secondly, of myself. And when my view of Him and myself has changed, guess what? My view of you changes. And my view of the world changes. And it's an amazing thing because that's the truth that sets people free. Pilate said, what is truth? And turned and walked away. Why don't you ask that in your heart and say, what is truth? And look into the eyes of Jesus. And you'll see the personification of the truth of the ages standing before you. That truth will make you free. The 4th of July weekend, you want to be free? You want liberty? We don't want liberty, life, and the purchase of happiness, do we? We want liberty, life, and the pursuit and responding to him because he is the one that's chasing us. I'm not a God chaser. I'm a God receiver. He chased me first. I just said, I receive it. I receive your love, your forgiveness, your righteousness, your grace. Amen? Father, I do thank you today for the grace of God. And I pray today that our worldview will be absolutely transformed and changed as we behold your face in a new dimension, as we see you in light of your word and of your biblical worldview and how you view this world and what you desire for this world, that our views would line up with the word of God and that we would be your people, your ambassadors and your representatives to stand for your view of this world and what it means, Lord God, to have a biblical worldview. In Jesus' name. Ministry team, would you come? Elders, come. And if you want prayer, we're going to be standing down here, down front. If you're here today and you just want to come up and meet one of us or meet me, shake my hand, or if you want prayer, I mean, we would be honored to do that. We're going to dismiss the church. Pray you go have a wonderful uh, Sunday afternoon and just uh, enjoy God's grace and blessing. But if you want prayer, then you come this way, okay? Bless you, church. God bless you. We love you guys. Amen. If you want prayer, come up front.